Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and dateless nerd, Noelle LaCroix. <laughs> and I'm story expert who gets her scorn on at the bronze, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about Beneath You, the second episode of season seven. Beneath You aired on October 1st, 2002 and was written by Douglas Petrie and directed by Nick Mark. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that, and we'll be Command Central, so everybody check in with us. Okay, we'll be doing our homework, but the other one sounded cooler. (laughs) No more mind games. No more mind. Let's go on patrol. Beneath you, we open with a pink-haired rock girl in Frankfurt being chased by men in cloaks and then stabbed and killed with an ornate knife that um No. Cut the music, Jack. Okay. What the fuck is with this? I mean, it's got actual rhinestones on it and is all ornate, and I get it. It's a special knife made to kill potential slayers and everything, but they're potential slayers, and you can kill them with shit you got lying around the house. In a pinch, a steak knife or some rat poison will do the job, and it's just inefficient is what I'm saying. How many bringers you got the first? Like, let's generously say... 100, right? So you've got two on each of these missions. That's 50 missions at a time. Their eyes are all scarred out, so you've got to have them travel on the sly so as not to induce a global panic. So that's what? Carts? Horses? My point is, they're not flying Lufthansa. So the bringers, they've got to hunt down these potentials and chase them through various towns throughout the world in these heavy fucking woolen robes, which look all creepy and medieval, but you can't run in that shit. You need something that wicks. They've got to be hella dehydrated, but okay, maybe there's some kind of hell-mouthy spell that keeps their electrolytes in hot supply. Let's allow for that. But the whole point of bedazzling your knife is to show that it's special, but if there's only one knife and you're only killing one girl at a time with two bringers trying to run around incognito through Istanbul to Frankfurt. It's just not an efficient system, the first. I mean, for a big brew and evil that's been planning this hostile takeover for centuries, I would just think you'd have a better plan. That's all I'm saying. Okay, Jack, you can run the music again. The bringers kill the pink-haired girl, and she says, from beneath you, it devours, and Buffy wakes up from her dream and tells Dawn that there are more girls like that out there, and they're all going to die. Meanwhile, out in Sunnydale, the grounds are rumbling as something evil beneath the surface moves through town. Down in the school basement, Spike of the InSync Timberlake hair stalks a rat and spouts nonsense as he feels the ground rumble and falls down screaming. In the car on the way to school, Dawn is excited that Buffy's going to be at school doing her job, which no one knows what it is. Xander bemoans the fact that he hasn't had a date in forever, and we travel briefly through everyone's romantic history in what is the first of a long run of terrible expositional dialogue in this episode. Buffy goes to work at the school, chats with Principal Wood, who we discover has an alarming casual knowledge of medieval weaponry, and then Buffy's off to explore the school, which is an excuse to go down to the basement to see if Spike's there, which he isn't. Out in the English countryside, Giles tells Willow she's ready to go back. She's nervous about it. What if they don't want her back? I'd love to offer you some guarantee that you'll be welcome back to Sunnydale with open arms, but I can't. You may not be wanted, but you will be needed. Out in Sunnydale at night, a woman named Nancy walks her dog only to have it devoured by whatever is in the ground. The monster comes after her and bumps into Xander, who takes her to Buffy's house. She tells her tale and they believe her, and while Buffy makes the connection, From beneath you it devours. Then Spike comes in wearing a new blue shirt, his hair all properly peroxided, and tells Buffy he's there to help. He reveals that Buffy saw him in the school basement. Dawn's not thrilled that Buffy didn't mention that Spike was back. And then Spike comes in wearing a new blue shirt, his hair all properly peroxided, and tells Buffy he's there to help. He reveals that Buffy saw him in the school basement. Dawn's not thrilled that Buffy didn't mention that Spike was back. Xander's not thrilled that Spike's standing there without something wooden and pointy sticking out of his rapidly dusting chest. Buffy takes him aside and hears him out. He tells her that something's out there, something bad, and if she says she doesn't need his help, he'll leave. Buffy decides that Xander will take Nancy home, she and Spike will patrol, and Dawn will be command central, safe at home. Before they leave, however, Dawn has something to say to Spike. Well, I can't take you in a fight or anything, even with a chip in your head, but you do sleep. If you hurt my sister at all, touch her, you're going to wake up on fire. 
Buffy and Spike go on patrol, examining the hole in the ground where Nancy's dog was eaten. Buffy tries to get Spike to tell her what happened, and he won't. He hands her the flashlight, and she flashes back to the attack. Spike looks away, ashamed. At Nancy's apartment, Xander walks her inside. There's some mild flirting, and then the subterranean worm comes for them. They run, and Xander suspects it's not a coincidence that Nancy got attacked twice in one night. Nancy reveals that her ex-boyfriend was abusive, and she wished it would stop. Wish? Anya's holding office hours at the Bronze when everyone busts in wanting to know what she did to Nancy's ex. She says Nancy wished Ronnie was a worm, and Anya turned him into a slug-off demon. Same file, I mean, it's not cheating, I just embellish. Anya argues for a bit, then gets distracted as she recognizes that Spike has a soul now. She starts to ask him about it, and he punches her in the face to get her to stop. Buffy steps in, and she and Spike fight, and he insists he was just messing with her, and he hasn't changed, and oh god, it's so bad. Nancy runs off, and I don't blame her, and Buffy runs off to find Nancy, leaving Xander to convince Anya to reverse the spell, and just plain leaving Spike. Hey, is that it? Little touchy feeling off of the back poles? Outside, Nancy gets attacked. Again. Buffy finds her in an alley and tries to help her as Ronnie the Slugoth demon comes up from beneath her to devour. Spike shows up, wielding a long pipe, and he fights the demon with it. Just as he stabs it, Anya reverses the spell and Spike impales Ronnie as a human. His chip goes off and he screams. While Buffy tries to get an ambulance to help Ronnie, Spike rants, telling her about the death and devastation that is coming. From beneath you, it devours. Spike runs off, and Anya and Xander appear. Nancy sees Anya and blames her, then disappears into the night. Buffy tells Xander and Anya to watch over Ronnie, and then goes after Spike. She finds him in a cemetery chapel, where he talks in gibberish, but she figures out what happened. You got your soul back. Spike tells her that he got his soul back, for her, and now he wrestles with the whispers of the dead and what he's done. He tells her that he did it so that she would forgive him, so that he would be loved. She watches in horror as he walks toward a crucifix, leaning against it as smoke rises from his searing body. Can we rest now? Buffy, can we rest? Okay, Noel. so here we have, I think, um, I don't want to jump the gun too much on this, but what I think we can all universally you know, admit is, is a terrible, terrible episode. Um, but with a powerful ending that actually is one of my favorite moments, not just in this episode, clearly, but like all of Buffy, like this is one of my favorite moments. Um, so I feel a little conflicted about this episode. How do you feel about it? This episode didn't hold my attention long enough for me to have a real, like, solid overall impression of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are bits of it that are fantastic. Yeah. But it's a big, jumbled mess. And what in the ever-loving hell is going on with Spike? I mean, oh. I I know what's going on with Spike, but, like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> no. Spike does not make sense. We're going to talk about Spike in detail in a little bit. But like, it is a hot mess, this episode. Um, And I hate it because it could have been really, really good. Um, We've got this wonderful ending, um, you know, with Buffy and Spike, which is so incredibly powerful and such a good moment. Um, And the rest of the episode has things in it that are nice. Yeah. But it's wrapped up in such a mess of weirdness and nonsense it feels like it, it it it's written like bad fan fiction and this i say like i'm not taking a swipe at fan fiction i said bad fan fiction i did not do what everybody else does which is presume that all fan fiction is bad it is not um but this feels like the kind of fan fiction where somebody is showing off all of their knowledge of everything that has happened ever in the history of the television show um and it just it's so incredibly poorly written it is i would say the worst written episode of buffy if not the worst episode itself um and i find that so disappointing because doug petrie is amazing so i i actually have a theory 
about what the hell happened with that. (laughs) Um, But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Let's get into uh, talking about some of the things that are are kind of better in this episode because it it relates to something that we're doing like all season long, um, you know, with some of the themes. So what do you think about this idea of the soul as the spark? Well, that was one of the big things that jumped out at me as being really interesting and meaningful Mm -hmm. in this episode. But it doesn't because it's in that last scene, Mm -hmm. it doesn't get a lot of, you know, it doesn't get a lot of exploration. But yeah, it I definitely noticed it because the connection between a spark and a fire is a pretty obvious metaphor, right? And we've heard from Spike before about how love is like fire, how it burns and consumes. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. all right, that's, you know, that's pretty good because a spark could start a fire, but it doesn't have to. Right. And I like the idea for Spike specifically of the spark as a prerequisite for love or what he thinks what what he thinks of as being love and what he right. thinks has to happen you know in this whole like he got his soul for buffy for mm-hmm. love and the soul is a spark but then maybe he i don't know it's almost like he misunderstood the assignment like, yeah. <laughs> like he he I don't know. I just I like it. And it's not it's not fleshed out here mm-hmm. in any real way. But that connection to fire, the idea of a spark is something that activates or stimulates the idea of a soul as inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love the image of the soul as a spark as something tiny. Right. Yeah. Because it's clearly for Spike this all-consuming, overpowering, overwhelming experience of having a soul again. And he is struggling to integrate that. But I love the idea that it's like this tiny, tiny little thing that could have such a huge impact, Um, which goes along nicely, I think, with a lot of the themes of the show overall, Mm -hmm. that it is the, you know, it is the effect of one thing or one person or one decision or one moment i mean yeah that's not unique to buffy that's something that we love to do in in storytelling um but it's a beautiful image and it's something interesting to think about i think as we move forward this season and talk more about the soul i mean because we're gonna get into that again right like oh yeah we're gonna go around that mulberry bush again in a big way yeah but the soul as spark i think is just a really compelling um image idea metaphor all of it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no i think that it's nice and i like the way that he talks about it you know because he does talk about it in this metaphor that very slowly dawns on an increasingly horrified Buffy yeah you know um, that he got his soul back which is going to be a complicated thing right because one of the reasons why she could never ask me why I could never love you right Mm -hmm. you know Um, that she can't trust him because he doesn't have a soul because he's a soulless when she beat him up in dead things you are a soulless you know like this is what she kept talking about as being the reason why she couldn't love him Um, and I also love the irony of it that he he thinks that it's that the only reason she can't love him is because he doesn't have a soul so he goes out to Target and buys one on special (laughs) right gets the soul but then in the having of the soul can understand why she could never forgive him why she could never love him regardless of whether he has a soul or not so i love that kind of monkey's paw effect of this thing that he went after so there's tons of that that i think is is really really fun um we start out this episode, you know, once again with like this, we've got another cold open. Um, this time we do tangentially relate it to the episode as we have Buffy wake up with the prophetic nightmare, you know, mm-hmm. which is a, a classic, uh, you know, um, little black dress that we keep in the closet and pull out from time to time, you know. But not often enough that it really works, I think. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I would have loved for there to be more of that either more of that throughout the series as a whole or less of it it's like the slayer's prophetic dreams show up 
occasionally when we remember that we've got that in our toolbox. When we need some exposition, like it is an expositional tool, you know, and this entire episode is so heavy handed with the exposition. It is it is pretty terrible. Um, and the thing is, like everybody knows, as I have said, I'm not a big fan of dream sequences in general. In Buffy, usually I will endure them okay um, because they do generally serve a narrative purpose and they also have within the world, you know, like a reason behind having these dreams. So like, okay, you know, fine, I get it. Um, except the thing devouring from beneath in this episode has bugger all to do with the main story of the season so you know whatever makes me Um, so mad (laughs) yeah like it's here we have an opportunity to do something that actually like relates like if you're going to reference this from beneath you thing you know which by the way I mean is consistent right we know because this is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast that what is the big bad this season is the first the first of course was introduced in amends um, when the bringers did their work underground killing the Christmas trees devouring the Christmas spirit from beneath beneath them right um there's also like this wonderful terrifying vulnerability to the idea of something coming up from beneath you where you'd never look as anyone who's seen jaws well knows right mm-hmm. um we've got a reference here also to another petri script fool for love where buffy tells spike that she's beneath him right yes. it has all the markers of this great internal resonance to build on itself but this episode literally does nothing aside from reveal to buffy that spike got his soul back You know, that is the only thing that this episode does that matters at all. We don't see Nancy again. We don't care about her dead dog. We don't care about the fact that Spike probably killed or at least very much maimed this man um, who is also abusive and God only knows what's going to happen from that. Like, it's just none of this episode is relevant at all with anything. Um, But we open, you know, with this like story that's going to carry through, you know, the killing of the potentials worldwide. Um, And uh, we have this ornate knife that is, I don't know, bedazzled. (laughs) That you love so much. (laughs) Oh my God, the knife makes me crazy. It is so annoying. Partially because it's supposed to be like, I'm presuming rubies or precious gems that have some kind of magical power or whatever. But what it really looks like, cheap rhinestones. And why does a knife need precious gems to kill? Like a knife is a knife. What do the gems give you? Plus five to knifiness? I mean, what the hell is that? You know? I'm sorry. The knife really annoys me. I hate it so much. And it looks, it looks super cheap and it's pointless and uh, so to speak yeah yeah exactly so to speak there you go it is narratively pointless but you know i i can let that go um the thing is we know that young girls are being killed by creepy guys in cloaks with a special knife and that's creepy but you know what they're not there are a lot of things they're creepy guys in cloaks but they're not beneath anybody they're on the same level. Yes. They're chasing this girl. They're not jumping up from beneath and devouring her. They're just so like from beneath you, it devours is something that does relate to the first because that was how the first was introduced to us in amends. But, uh, well, you know, it's just. Yeah. yeah. And the whole like, I mean, we get it a couple times from Willow, the like the hell mouth is going to open and it has teeth. And I'm like, all right, that's pretty great. But then. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the the Slugoth demon thing is like this, I don't know, it's like a twist and a fake out because yes. from beneath you it devours. Great, cool. We have something that is literally- Literally devouring beneath from beneath. And sure. devouring. Cool. Gotcha. Check, check, check. But then it's not anything to do with the, the bringers and the potentials yeah. and- the big baddiest big bad whoever big batted like it, i don't know yeah. it's a bummer no it's 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 a terrible fucking episode um uh, let me just do this part because this drives me crazy um usually even when buffy has a story that's not really doing great like the scene level work is usually pretty good like the dialogue is good the character work is usually good the jokes are usually good mm-hmm. um this episode for some reason is laden 
with backstory exposition, which, by the way, is the worst flavor of exposition. There's two kinds of exposition. There's backstory exposition and there's world building exposition. World building is the kind of shit that Giles had to do. Like, oh, this is a particular kind of demon and we got to research it. And the only way to kill it is this. And how are you ever going to do that? Ah, in 45 minutes. What's only a 45 minute show? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, that was Giles's job. It was a thankless fucking job, but he did it. And you have to do it because you have to explain certain things that are going to happen in the story. Right. You know, um, Gloria is a god and she cannot be killed and yada 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 we got to have that explanation i get it so right. so world building exposition is something you have to live with backstory exposition is almost always useless there are some places where you may have to do it so you try to do it lightly as possible um, but here it's like we have this one episode of buffy that is going to explain everything we have tons of as you know mary dialogue which by the way as you know mary dialogue is the dialogue that happens between two people who were both in the same space at the same time witnessed everything and nobody has lost their memory in between so when you have that conversation where i talk to you noel and i say hey noel you've been recording in your car and that's why you sound so fabulous on this episode like you know that and I know that. Yep. So why am I saying that to you? I'm saying that so that everybody knows that this whole time you've been recording in your freaking car. And it's amazing how it sounds. Um, that is just to inform the audience out there of something that they don't know. And you know it and I know it. So we have to do it. And in this case, it's not even stuff that the audience doesn't know. It's stuff that the audience remembers because they've seen if they are in episode two of season seven right and they don't know that xander and anya used to be a thing or whatever um they can pick it up from context clues right we don't need to have like xander walks in and Anya says oh hello my ex-boyfriend xander which is not okay <laughs> we weren't quite that bad in this episode but we were like almost that bad and from a craft standpoint absolutely the worst written episode of buffy i will go to my grave insisting that someone monkeyed with doug petrie's script because he is so much better than that my suspicion is that someone at upn you know where this was airing at the time and where i was actually working at the time that it was airing i was at an affiliate but i still feel associated shame went into this story and just added fucking terrible as you know mary dialogue to let all the audience know what happened somebody at the at at the studio or whatever at the network decided that we need to refresh people on what's been happening in Buffy and didn't let Petrie fix it. That is the only explanation. This is truly dreadful, dreadful writing. Which is such a bizarre decision on top of the we do a previously on. Yeah. Every single episode just about. Mm -hmm. And we even we don't even limit ourselves to previously on this season we do previous mm -hmm. we'll go all the way back to the beginning if we have yeah. to with previously yeah. on to catch you up here's the important We've had details one girl in all the world yeah. a couple of times yeah it's mm -hmm. i mean it is bananas and i have no like i just i have no theory I, at all as to why you would spend this much time gotta be a network suit it's, it's gotta, gotta be, be a something. network suit who wanted who's like had dreams of being a writer monkeyed with the script said this is what you're gonna do and they just did it it's it's i can't i do not believe that doug petrie wrote these words i just don't believe it because it's just too bad well and from a he's a good writer yeah and from a tv watching standpoint it raises mm -hmm. the question for me in a in a more like zoomed out way right of yeah. how much do we need to know of any given right. backstory in order to follow what's going on in order to and enjoy what's context. going on exactly like, like there's context clues you can bring in that'll give uh, give it away like there are things that you can do within a scene that if you want to get across certain historical information you can do it much much more elegantly than it's done here yeah and it, i mean just from you know i'm not i'm not a writer and certainly not a tv writer but the mm -hmm. the question of teasing out okay but what do you actually need to know? Because mm -hmm. people who have been watching all along or reading all along or following along know all the history. They know it. That's why they're still yeah. here. And people who are popping in, you know, at random probably don't actually need all of the backstory from all of the backstory in order to enjoy what you're doing. Right. If you've in the, got in that episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you've got a story that is interesting you know on its own 
Yeah. And I think that's a problem here, too, is the story is just like, what? Question marks for me. Yes. The story isn't absolutely terrible. I do like that Anya... You know, Anya gets this feedback, right? Yes. You know, has her has her annual review <laughs> yes. with her supervisor Halfrack, right? Um, realizes that she's not actually as an Anya centric story. I would have enjoyed this a lot better. We're going to get that in Selfless a little later in the season, but I mean, this is really like that's honestly the best part of this is that Anya is trying to make up for the fact that she's been you know, a little light on bringing down the punishment. That's not a good time to, it's not a good time to be a good guy. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, so we've got that. I think that that's nice. I like that element of it. Um, You know, but like the whole thing is aside from that, just kind of a mess. The fact that we have a demon that is coming up from beneath you and from beneath you, it devours. And yet this has absolutely bugger all to do with anything else that's going on, you know, in, in the long run of the the season story um that i find it's just irritating because you're investing in this thinking oh this is a thing yeah no it's not a thing it's just this it's a one-off you know thing i i like that anya did it i like that anya you know maybe overreacted to some of the feedback that she got um it's a stupid choice for anya to make because to make an abusive boyfriend even more dangerous and powerful um, and uh, and able to hurt, you know, like so many more people. That's not vengeance. Like she's not doing this on behalf of this woman, which granted, you know, is is a, you know, th- they decide how they're going to like specialize in, you know, major in demonology, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and she p- picked this track, you know, the the vengeance for wronged women track. In reality, it doesn't really mean anything as long as she's creating chaos. It's OK. And she did definitely do that. But she's got this idea that she's, you know, venging these women and protecting these women. And then she ends up like practically getting Nancy killed and also getting her dog killed. Yes. Oh, puppy. <laughs> Give it up for the Yorkie. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a mm-hmm. see, okay, in an Anya centric yes. episode, I think we might be able to dig in a little deeper to why Anya might yeah. overcorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or or what might be going on. Like maybe she's hustling mm-hmm. too hard with the vengeance demon thing and she makes some careless right. mistakes. Um and ends up making, you know, making things more dangerous instead of less dangerous. But we don't get that. It just seems like Anya, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That thing. doesn't feel like Anya to me. Yeah. I don't think she would do something that careless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't I don't see Anya making a dangerous guy more dangerous. Yeah. I don't see that either. So it doesn't make any sense. I mean, although we do see that happen in Selfless, I think it's done better in Selfless. So this is a beat yeah. that we could have saved for later. Yeah. You know, because we're, we're we're kind of, we do the beat badly and in the background in this episode, and then we do it up front, um, you know, and in Selfless and really kind of play that out, which I think is nice. Um, so I don't know, like, that's the only thing I think that this episode, aside from the spike scene at the end, like actually has going for it. Um, and everything else spike before that end is just kind of a hot mess. Um, I do like the monster versus man identity dichotomy that we've got here um, because we've had this this thematically kind of repeating for Spike a number of times. We have in um, in the gift, I know I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man. I think that that's really nice. Um, to Riley and into the woods, he says the girl needs some monster in her man. Um, Angel in amends says it's not the monster in me that needs killing Buffy, it's the man. So this dichotomy you know, this line between man and monster has something that we have been kind of talking about for a really long time. And Spike's been straddling that line ever since he got the chip, you know, and he has mm-hmm. been trying to figure out where he fits in and he fits in nowhere, you know, can't be mm-hmm. a monster, can't be a man. What am I? Right. So he goes and he gets his soul, you know, and then understands that he did the one thing that could have made him a man, except that it doesn't and he knows it. Um, but again, it's the language that he uses here. And I love that constant struggle in his identity. I think it's it's a nice beat. And the ending is really nice. But the rest of Spike in this episode, 
<laughs> uh, yeah. What? Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I love, I love the idea that getting your soul back would turn your brain to mashed potatoes for a while while you got everything kind of sorted <laughs> out. But the problem that I so often see with the spouting nonsense version of a character on a mental and emotional roller coaster is that that kind of nonsense only works if it makes sense to the writer and to the actor. Yeah. And maybe that's the case here. I don't I don't actually know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there are some strong, meaningful beats behind all of Spike's tonal ping-ponging, but it's not cohesive enough for me. Yeah. And I like this kind of thing. Yeah, you like it so, a lot more than I do. <laughs> I do. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, well, mostly because I like that. I like stories about that kind of a mental emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. I like those stories about struggling with something internally, mm-hmm. but it's difficult to visualize that. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to make that something that we can see on a on a screen, you know, for a TV show or a yeah. movie. So, it's got to be it it needs to feel chaotic. Right. But it it also needs to feel consistent. Mm-hmm. And this just feels like inconsistencies rather than a mental and emotional roller coaster. Yeah, definitely. Now, I do like Spike saying the big bad is back before stabbing Ronnie in the shoulder because <laughs> has Spike ever announced himself as the big bad without something unfortunate or cartoonish happening immediately afterward? I don't think so. And I love it. I mean, granted, you know, something unfortunate and cartoonish is almost always happening to Spike in one way or another. So, I mean, it's really just a, a, even a broken clock. It hits it twice a day. Right. You know, um, but yeah, it's it's absolutely adorable. And I like that, although, I, you know, in that moment, actually is really horrifying because here he is. He finally got his soul. He doesn't want to hurt people anymore. He's trying to protect people. And then he ends up stabbing a dude and his chip yep. goes off. And like that is, I think, a nice little hit of tragedy in this moment that I actually do like but it's in the middle of this random mix of weirdness that it's okay like you're right if if his ranting makes sense to the writer to the actor and to us like to a certain degree I think we as an audience need to be able to read something from it you know Um, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it just seems so strange and so weird at the end he starts talking about from beneath you it devours you know it comes it's coming after you like all of this stuff I think that that's pretty good but the come on kitties come see the show that was clearly put in so that we could have that in the promo again I tell you it's a suit at the network that monkeyed with the script it's it's wild how much he jumps around just in terms of the spike that we're seeing with no indication of what's actually going on Mm -hmm. for him right um i mean that's a bummer Mm -hmm. i like i like the performance i just don't it's not it's not cohesive um but I really, I really enjoy the moment when Nancy asks, is there anyone here that hasn't slept together? And Spike and Xander exchange a meaningful look. Right. It's just, it's goofy. Mm-hmm. But James Marsters plays it like they absolutely have slept together. Mm-hmm. Or Spike has at least given it some serious thought. <laughs> oh, you know me. he has. You know he has. I mean, come on. You know, Xander's kind of a snack when he's not being a total jerk, you know? So, I mean... <laughs> Um, I actually really super hate this moment. And the reason why I really super hate it. Well, okay. I love it and I hate it. I love it because it's funny and it's cute and it speaks to me as a fan. I hate it because it's super fucking fan servicey. It's like, you know, they've slept together and they've slept together. So we've got this really awkward, horrible backstory of explaining what all the relationships are to everybody, which let me say it again. If you are popping in and the seventh season, second episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you don't know what's going on, then ask the friend that forced you to watch it because this isn't something that you do accidentally. It's just irritating. Well, yeah. You know? The friend... 
the friend who pulls you in to season seven is like, okay, okay, okay. So here's what happened. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, this is what's relevant. Nobody's just popping in to Buffy at this point in the run, you know? So anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just very irritated with whatever that network suit. Whoever that is, you're terrible <laughs> and I hate you. Um, but so it's it's incredibly fan servicey. That said, I'm a fan and it services me. Like, I do like it. Like, it's funny. It's cute. I like the look between Xander and, and Spike. Um, which has which gives me a sense that it's not just Spike who's had the thought. I mean, we've heard Xander talk about Spike. Before. That's right. We have heard Xander talk about Spike. I we? think that very possibly <laughs> there have been some some romantically tense moments between these two. And you know what? I am fucking here for it. Like, I love it. <laughs> It's just that it comes at a moment that in order to get this wonderful moment out of this, like the the build up to it, the um, expositional, you know, backstory, it's just ugh. I just ugh. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, like, I feel that way. I feel that way about pretty much all of the Anya stuff mm-hmm. in this episode and yeah. that I love Anya in this episode I love her so much but there is so much tomfoolery and Mm -hmm. nonsense going on around her that I'm just like why why is that here when we could have Anya because this Anya holy smokes she is everything that vengeance demon hustle yeah Oh, my God. Her little chuckle Mm -hmm. followed by the yes when Xander asks, did you turn this nice lady's ex into a giant worm monster? It's perfect. Anya's perfection. Mm -hmm. Sheer perfection. I love her. I love. I think she gets every good line, too. You wish it. I dish it. I thought we were clear on this. (laughs) I had a quota. Mm -hmm. The guy had it coming. Mm -hmm. What's the big? Like, this. Yes. Give me this, Anya. Mm -hmm. Give me, like. I would I would do a season of this. Uh-huh. Yeah. I would do a full season of the Vengeance Demon. She's back. She's trying to get her, you know, mm-hmm. she's trying to get back in her work groove. She's great. Yeah. And her little oh puppy. Oh, puppy. <laughs> Give it up for the Yorkie. Yes. No, I yeah. love it. I love it. It's so great. Anya is definitely Anya with the dark brown flippy hair. I love this girl. She looks great yes. mm-hmm. too. I don't know. Last I last episode, mm-hmm. we had just a tiny little bit of Anya and she looked fantastic. She looks fantastic here yep. too. Hair and makeup and wardrobe just like, I don't know. They She's unbelievable. They're doing a thing. Yeah. She looks phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate Anya being a vengeance demon entrepreneur. Right. <laughs> like, She's running a franchise, right? She's she got a yeah. <laughs> Told total, total badass. Mm-hmm. I love her when She's like, I embellished a little bit. And Xander says, well, you can unembellish now. <laughs> and Anya just goes, bite me, Harris. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. I like it. Hell yeah. And oh my God, Anya figuring it out about Spike. Mm-hmm. I think that's a nice moment. We could have played it amazing, way more subtly, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, and I think she's playing it kind of subtly, like the excitement and the not... She's, I mean, she's a little understated for Anya mm-hmm. in that she doesn't blurt out, you know, hey, everybody, Spike got a soul. You know, <laughs> right. she's like, she is genuinely curious. She wants to know what the hell happened to you? What did you do? Because mm-hmm. she knows what is different. Yes. But then she wants to know how and right. why and, you know, all of that. But and the then Spike fight. hits her. No. Yeah. It's so dumb. Okay. First of all, I do like Anya going all veiny faced and beating the shit out of Spike. Like that I like, you know, in and of itself. But in this context, in the way that this is played, and Spike, um, she knows that he's got his soul. Um, she has that moment where she's like, What did you do? And like, if in that moment he says something, because Spike and Anya have always been able to communicate. I mean, we saw them in entropy. They are able to talk to each other. They understand each mm-hmm. other in a way that nobody else in this group understands them, right? This is yeah. really great. It's a great moment for him to subtly be like, 
don't, you know? And then yeah. Buffy's like, what? And then we move the fuck on. But instead, he punches her in the face. She punches him back. Buffy starts punching people. Everybody's having this big fight. It's this whole big thing. And then he plays this off like you thought I had changed and that I went soft, but now I'm just as bad as I ever was. And da -da -da -da. And he plays up this whole incredibly stupid and non-convincing thing methinks the vampire doth protest too much. I mean, clearly that's yeah. bullshit. So all of that is... Um, it's just it's so weird and wrong and uh, it turns what could have been a really, really great subtle moment, you know, into something so weird and cartoonish that like, yeah, I just I, I love the beginning of that moment and I hate the rest of it. I don't know. I don't hate the fight, mm -hmm. but I kind of wish that it had gone a different direction yeah. in that when... So Spike hits her, which seems weird for Spike he to hit Anya. Anya. It just, I don't know, that felt weird. But then, you know, so then when she says, I'm so going to kick your ass, I kind of wish she had gotten to yeah. that it had been more of a fight between Spike and Anya because it doesn't, Spike and Anya fighting mm -hmm. doesn't ring true, except that if we'd had some sort of a... I don't know if if the stuff going on with Spike had been more coherent mm -hmm. in that we got more of a sense of Spike, like trying to keep himself together. Yes. Where we saw and that maybe, he was constant. He looks so smooth, you know? Yeah. yeah. And maybe so maybe if we had some indication that being discovered as the new shame filled owner of a certified previously owned soul <laughs> would compromise yeah. some of that control you know like if he's struggling maybe he's struggling to keep it together right because he's clearly i mean he is clearly being ripped up inside in all of the ways mm -hmm. so if we got the sense that he is trying to pull himself together but being discovered right. compromises that control that he's you know that self-control and then anya is on the verge of outing him. Mm -hmm. Maybe that would have worked. Yeah, if no, he would hits have her. Totally believed that. And then she yeah. hits back, and then and then maybe Buffy comes between them. Like, right. like seriously, what in the hell is wrong with both of you? And then if after that she keeps Spike's secret, you know, she realizes mm. what's going mm -hmm. on and says nothing. Like that could have been a really, really nice moment. Like, I think that you're right. I think that what we have here is we have Spike being totally cool. Right. We open up with NSYNC Justin Timberlake Spike. Right. So we got <laughs> Which him. Which I enjoy way more than I should. No. Like it's it does nothing. Yeah. It's just Spike talking to a cute chubby rat in the basement. And I'm like, this is but it's, this an, is awesome. it's entertaining. Here we are now. Entertain us. Exactly. Right? You know, like he's he's very entertaining. So we have that. Then all of a sudden he shows up. He's wearing this blue shirt, which is completely not his style. So he's and when he refers to it later as a costume, I kind of like that because we have him yeah. in a different kind of presentation but he's so smooth and he's so together and he's like yeah i'm just here to tell you that something's going on but you know what if you don't need me i'll just walk away and it's totally cool yeah. like we don't see him sputtering at all during this whole process when he's looking at the um wormhole with buffy like all of this stuff it's it's he's fine you know so then all of a sudden for him to just turn around and hit anya in a situation where cool Spike could have found a million other ways to like handle that, you know, and keep her quiet. Like she would have kept quiet if he had approached her, you know, as himself. Um, but the whole thing is just so incredibly weirdly handled. Um, and uh, I like the idea that if he had been sputtering all along and we see he's just barely able to keep a lid on it, that this had panicked him to the point where he lost all of his control. Absolutely. That would have been great. But as it is, it's just, you know, I mean, it's fun to see Anya, you know, kicking ass as a demon. Like, aside from that, I, I don't get a whole lot of value out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. So much potential. So, so much potential. potential. No pun intended. Um, right. So there's one thing that we only get a little bit of in this uh, in this episode. It is our darling little niblet. Um, how do you like Dawn here? 
Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's such a delight. Yeah. Telling Spike that if he hurts Buffy, he'll wake up on fire is fantastic. I love you sleep, right? Like, Yeah, and he's totally confused for a second, yeah. which I love, too. He's like, yeah? Vampires. <laughs> like, what, where is this going? It's and I so love good. that. He's like, when did Dawn get unbelievably scary? And I'm like, I love the fact that Dawn scares Spike because she should, because she's fucking badass. I love Dawn. And just delightful, yeah. like being part of the team. I'm Command Central. <laughs> I'm Command Central. Everybody report to me. All right, I'm doing my homework. But, you know, like, I love she's that. great. She's great. But, but. Standing up to Spike mm-hmm. is some really excellent dawn. Yeah. Especially after, you know, the little the little interaction with Buffy where she's like, yeah, you didn't think to mention that yeah. Spike was back. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's great. Dawn, so, so good. Dawn is definitely, so definitely highlighted this episode. Uh, we also have this, you know, kind of moment of just, well, they're on the, you know, recurring cast list, so we have to have a scene with them, with Willow and Giles. Uh, doesn't yeah. really have a whole lot to do with anything. It's setting up stuff that's going to happen next week. What did you think about that? Our moment of Willow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad we got to see Willow. Mm-hmm. I, that interaction with Giles is a bummer, though, because Willow has a lot of really legitimate fears about yeah. going back to Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. And she expresses them in a way that suggests, to me at least, that she's actually been learning and growing Mm -hmm. and doing all the good therapeutic English countryside things. Like, she's like, yeah, she's like, wait a minute, like, what... You know, do I does does that mean I have to be a bigger, badder badass Mm -hmm. than the source of all badness? I mean, that's a great question about this real powerful evil that she... She can feels. sense, yeah, yeah, that she's got you know enough connection to that she's falling down on the ground. Mm-hmm. Last time we saw her, and Giles is just like, Taxi's here, yep. off you pop, you know, like, and I'm really come on, Dumbledad, like, Dumbled- you can do better than that. <laughs> He's like, acting, just, yeah, he's acting like there is someone naked waiting in his bed and he's just got to get rid of this kid, you know, but this is, he, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he really is. He's like, and then that whole bit about like, we could spend two more years doing this and it doesn't guarantee that your friends will take you back. And I'm like, ow, ouch, yeah. by the way. like Also, wait. he hasn't been talking with them. Like, he doesn't know. Like, we see next week in same time, same place that they still love her and they still want her and they're coming to pick her up. They haven't talked on the phone, if not with Willow, then at least with Giles, you know, like. Right? No one's checking in? No one's checking on in. He hasn't, Willow? He hasn't taken I, their temperature. He, he tells them that she's going to be on a plane, but hasn't taken their temperatures, how they're going to respond to her coming back like all of that feels um you know constructed you know it's just it's not yeah yeah i mean and it just feels very much like we're not taking willow seriously Mm -hmm. again Uh, like we're not taking her her big magical process seriously Mm -hmm. we're not taking her emotional response to that seriously I just, nope. I hate it. I just hate it. Yeah, you know she's she's most and and then I don't know how I feel about the detail that she's most worried about her friends. I yeah. don't. That doesn't ring true for me. Mm-hmm. I would be much more. In, I hmm, I would think she would be much more anxious about sensing this very real evil. Yeah, having that connection to evil herself mm-hmm. understanding like the the weight of that the seriousness yeah. of that it seems to me like that would be at the front of her mind mm-hmm. but we get you know through this scene we get to she's most worried about her friends yeah. and whether or not you know they will they're gonna want welcome her back, her back. Mm-hmm. and giles says trust yourself and the others might follow and mm-hmm. i'm like that is not super comforting <laughs> like <laughs> Like really not. He's really not doing a very good no, job with this whole. No, he is clearly trying to get rid of her. Yeah, clearly there is somebody naked waiting for Giles, and he's just like, "Look, kid, I gotta go." 
you know? He's like, had it. Yeah. He's like, all right, can you need to be... It, it feels very much like the, okay, you need to get over mm-hmm. it now. Whatever it is, yeah. you need to get over it. Yeah. It's a bad dad move. I don't like it. I don't care for it. I don't care for it either. But after all the things we've discussed that we don't care for, I have to ask you, Noelle, what's your favorite part of Beneath You? Well, from a delight perspective, Mm -hmm. it's Anya at the bronze. Like, hands down. Mm -hmm. Um, From a romantic visual studies perspective, and also an interesting theological perspective, perhaps, it's that shot of Spike at the very end. Mm -hmm. Where he's like embracing slash leaning over the cross. Yeah. Like it's just so beautiful. Oh God. It's yeah. heavy handed, mm-hmm. but it is heavy handed in a way that really, really works for me. And I love absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I that's my favorite part too. Spike at the cross. Can we rest now? You know, like he's yeah. he's explaining to her what happened in a way that without saying, well, Okay, so I went and got my soul, you know. Um, He does it in this way that very slowly reveals itself to her and she gets it. Um, And he's still talking, you know, kind of in code, you know. And it's so interesting and it's so sad and heartbreaking and poetic. And the, the struggle of the monster and the man as he embraces the cross and starts to smoke, you know. Mm-hmm. Um that that idea like there's this line in angel where uh, darla tells angel god doesn't want you but i still do right you know Mm -hmm. so here we have this moment where god doesn't want him buffy doesn't want him nobody wants him you know Um, aside from you know a million fans like me but that's a whole other different discussion that's in the fanfic area but anyway (laughs) um yeah it's just it's it's so beautifully done it's beautifully written this is absolutely like i can feel doug petrie in this scene you know yeah um and the rest of it you know yeah and his and Spike's awareness of everything yeah. that's going on in there, like it's such a it, that scene is so great because it is this moment of clarity mm-hmm. in this kind of jumbled mess of yeah. an episode, um, you know. And Buffy says, "Spike, have you completely lost your mind?" And he says, "Well, yes. Where have you been all night?" I just love <laughs> that moment so of good. clarity. It's really nice, and I don't mind the moments of clarity mixed in with this loss of his sense of self. You know, um, that's nice, and the bouncing back and forth between that is nice. Um, in a in a moment, having scenes and scenes and scenes of him being okay. But anyway, this is the favorite part: Spike on a cross. Favorite part, love it. Let's move on. All right, if you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join and connect with the show on Twitter, follow at Shipperish and use the hashtag #StillPretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Stefania, Shelley, Rose, Jonathan, Alice, Kristen, Sarah, Christina, Erica, and Abigail. And this week's special message for our power producers, bring the wife and kitties, come see the show. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or threaten to set Spike on fire if he touches Buffy. We will be back next time with Same Time, Same Place, the third episode of season seven. Until then, you wish it, I dish it. I thought we were clear on this. (laughs) 